Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. John Acuff is a best selling author, including his most recent book, All It Takes Is a Goal, which is what we're going to be discussing today. John, so great to have you back on Takeaways. Thank you for having me again. I'm looking forward to it. I love all of your books. This new one is great because we we start out New Year's with new goals and we want to accomplish them this time. And your stuff is so practical. I can't wait for people to hear this. Uh, But it was a little concerning to me. In the very beginning of your book, you said that you didn't start thinking about living up to your potential until you were 45 years old. Explain that to us. I like to say I was late to my 30s. I didn't have a plan. I was like a lot of people. I would call myself a late bloomer. And in my mid-40s, we went on a college tour with my wife. And she said, wasn't college amazing? And I looked back and reflected on college and thought, no, it was terrible. I made so many mistakes. I wasted all that potential. And so I drove back to Nashville where I live. And I started to wrestle with that. And I started to think, okay, I can't change those four years, but I can change the next four, the next 10, the next 40. What does it mean to tap into your potential? And then I got curious, do other people feel that way? So I commissioned a research study, the PhD named Mike Peasley. We asked 3,000 people if they feel like they're living up to their full potential. And Kirk, 96% of them said no. So all of a sudden I felt like, wow, I've got an issue that I can work on in my own life, but I can also help a lot of other people if I write a book about this experience. How do you define your potential? Potential for me is the gap between your vision and your reality. So the vision of how you wanted life to come out, the vision of how you hoped it would be, who you wanted to be, what you wanted to be doing with your job and your family. We all come to this world with visions, with hopes, with dreams, and then the reality, how you're actually spending your time. And a lot of people see this big gap between those two things, that there's a big gap between their vision and reality. And my version of that is if there's a big gap, don't feel shame about that. Don't feel bad about that. That just means you've got a lot of potential. And as you work on it, you close the gap. And eventually, as you continue to work, as you continue to succeed at your goals and lean into who you were designed to be, you start to overlap how you hoped life would be and how it actually is. And that's a really fun place to arrive. I think I'm starting to get what you're talking about. And and one of the things that I hear you saying is that if I'm going to really live up to my full potential, I've got to have a measure of self-awareness. I got to know that there's this gap and I've got some work to do, but it's not slogging through this. It's really an opportunity for me to fulfill my potential, but I got to know where I am. Talk talk to us about the need for self-awareness in order to reach our full potential. Self-awareness is a superpower. You can't change any part of your life with a degree, without a degree of self-awareness. So let me give you a couple examples. The executive who gets fired for anger issues thought he was just passionate. The person who's dated 10 losers in a row hasn't paused to go, wait a second, the one thing in common with all those dates was me. If you don't have self-awareness, you really can't change your life. So it does take a degree of understanding where you are right now and then also having that bit of hope. Where do I want to be someday? What am I looking forward to? What do I feel designed to do? And for me, I I look at it as opening gifts. You know, that was one of the other stats is that 50% of people in the study felt that 50% of them was untapped. 
That would be like opening only half of your Christmas presents every year. So my vision of this isn't look at all the work you've got to do. It's look at all the gifts you haven't opened yet. That's a fun journey. You can get excited about that. You can lean into that. In your book, you talk about uh, something called the vision wall roadblock. What is that? Well, the vision wall is when people feel like they, they're capable of more, they say, I need to figure out my whole life. I need to find my why. I need to understand my purpose in life. And it's like this big wall of vision stands before you and says, until you know exactly what you're trying to do, until you know your exact goal, you can't even take the first step. And people get paralyzed. They go, I got to figure out my why. I had a neighbor spend six months trying to understand his why. He never changed his life. He just spent six months going, as soon as I know my perfect thing, then I'll do it. And what I like to say, Kirk, is that the growing is in the going. You learn as you go. You learn as you try. You don't wait until you know to try. I don't need to figure out what it is that, that is going to be my ultimate thing before I get in the car and start going. What, what, is that, what does that look like, though? If I don't know what it is that I, I'm meant to do, uh, how do I know which way to start driving the car? Well, one really easy way is, Kirk, you create what I call a best moments list. And a best moments list is built off your favorite things you've ever accomplished. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, all you do is you take out a piece of paper, you write best moments on it, and you start to write down things you care about. Big things, small things, medium things. Most of us have never done that. Our culture right now is obsessed with sadness. We're obsessed with trauma as if you can't learn anything from your joy. But instead of trying to dream forward, you go, okay, I'm 32, I'm 22, I'm 42. What have been the moments that have lit me up over the last five years, the last six months? And you start to write them down and you start to learn what you really care about. And it becomes this amazing life plan because what happens is, Kirk, you start to remember things you didn't remember you cared about. You start to remember moments from your life and you start to see patterns. There's actually four patterns in everybody's best moments list. An experience moment, something you experienced, a relationship. The moment was amazing because a person was involved. An object, there was an object that mattered to you a lot or an accomplishment. And once you do that, you've got this list of things you really care about and then it flips. And all of a sudden you say what everybody says when they do this, they go, I want more of that. I want more of that in my life. Mm. And now you're not guessing, Kirk. No one feels good about this question. Hey, dream about what the next 20 years look like. Everybody gets paralyzed by that 20-year goal. I didn't even see COVID coming. How can I predict 20 years from now? Mm. But instead you go, what really lights me up? You create this list and it introduces you to you. And the crazy thing is it makes you more self-aware. It gives you gratitude. It teaches you mindfulness because... 
when you tell your head and your heart to find things that you love from the past, it automatically starts looking for them in the moment. You become present. Everybody wants to be present. Being present is just being nostalgic about a moment you're still in. You don't have to reflect on it a week later or a month later. In the moment, your head and your heart will go, wait a second, this is the best moment. Let's add this to our list. So the first thing I walk people through if they really want to change their lives is, okay, well, let's figure out who you are and what you're really excited about. And then they create these moments and then we flip it and go, how do we put more of this in your life going forward? And that mm. becomes a really fun, really practical, really achievable life plan. John, uh, you talk about uh, some zones that people fall into with their goal setting. Can you explain that? Kirk, the challenge is there's a lot of high performers. Nobody who's a low performer reads books like mine. They don't even know books like mine exist. They don't even know that section of the store exists. So if you're interested in this book already, you're a high performer, but being a high performer doesn't automatically make you a high achiever. We've all known people who are capable of sporadic moments of achievement, but they never turn it into long-term sustainable success. And the reason why is high performers bounce between three different zones. Number one, the comfort zone. We all know that zone, Kirk. We talk about it all the time. It's the pajama pants zone. It's when you get stuck, you're in a rut. But the one that gets most people is actually the chaos zone. This is where you try too many things all at once. You exit your comfort zone and you ricochet all the way over in the chaos zone. I did a study where I asked people how many goals they had right now, and the average person had 22.8 goals. Do you know why people <laughs> watching this feel overwhelmed right now, Kirk? They're trying to juggle 22 balls at a time. That's impossible. And that's why we have the phrase yo-yo diet in our country. We've all heard that term yo-yo. What that really means is you're yo-yoing back and forth between you're not trying to get in shape at all or I'm signing up for an Ironman today and I'm going to start weighing every ounce. I'm going to worry about my macros. I'm going to do burpees at 2 a.m. like Mark Wahlberg. And you try everything all at once and it falls apart. And in between those two extremes, Kirk, is the potential zone. It's the Goldilocks zone. It's not too much. It's not too little, it's just right. That's the potential zone. When you're engaged in life-giving goals that you move forward day after day after day, and then you get to see compound interest. The best part about compound interest, Kirk, is that you'll either be blessed by the rewards or cursed by the mistakes. It just works. You don't have to believe in compound interest in the same way I don't have to believe in gravity. I don't have to wake up in the morning and go, I do believe in gravity. I can tell it exists because I can't jump 100 feet in the air. Same with compound interest. When you start making small, wise actions and wise decisions, they compound over time and you look up and go, wow, I'm overlapping those two things. My vision and my reality are overlapped and that's a different life. What are some of the most common roadblocks people have to, 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 to really getting into that potential zone? Well, the number one is fear. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Fear is the biggest thing that holds people back. Um, and fear can come in a number of different shapes. Perfectionism is a form of fear. Perfectionism is just fear wearing a tuxedo. It's one of those fears that we're okay admitting. We'll go, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but it's actually a, a poison dis disguised as a vitamin. It holds you back. So perfectionism holds people back. Procrastination. 
people, you know, will say, I'm going to do this someday and someday never comes. I, I've owned a lot of different calendars in my life. I've never seen someday on a single page of those calendars. So perfectionism, procrastination, um, sometimes they've tried before in the past and it hurts so much to fail that they made a secret agreement with themselves and said, I'll never try this again. Sometimes it's fear of man. It's fear of criticism. You know, Kirk, I never got a one star review about me until I wrote a book. When I worked in a cubicle for Auto Trader or Home Depot and I was writing advertising, I never had a stranger go, John Acuff is terrible at sitting in his cubicle. He's the worst at being in a cubicle. No one ever criticized me that way. But then when I dared to write a book, when you've dared to make TV shows and movies, all of a sudden, now you're exposed to yeah. criticism. So some people go, I can't handle the opinions of other people. So I would say the biggest roadblock is a variety of fear that people feel when they get closer to something they really care about. What, what is some bad advice that you've heard from other people with regard to fulfilling your potential? Oh yeah, so I've heard people say, um, sometimes you gotta jump and grow wings on the way down. And I think that's not how gravity ever works. That's, that's called not being prepared. Um, so I've heard that advice. I've heard advice, um, you know, when somebody criticizes you, cut them out of your life, they are toxic. And I think we overlabel people toxic when we need criticism from people who care about us. We need people who love us enough to tell us things we won't like to hear sometimes to say, hey, I think you're heading in the wrong direction. I think you're making some bad decisions, but we've so overlabeled people who criticize us as toxic that we miss wise counsel. So I think that's some of the worst advice mm. I've heard is from people that the immediately when they get criticized or questioned, they interpret the question as an attack. They interpret the question as hate and they shut down the relationship. And now you get isolated. And one thing that I say all the time, especially for leaders, is leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. You show me mm. a business that fell. You show me a marriage that fell. You show me a church that imploded, Kirk. I'll show you a leader who is isolated and could only be told the things they wanted to hear. So I think that's some of the worst advice I've heard is that isolationist mentality of if somebody gives me advice I don't want to hear, they must hate me and I will shut down that relationship. John, how do we protect ourselves from becoming so uh, self-focused by focusing on our goals that these goals end up becoming idols and now it's just all about us, right? Because we're supposed to be focused on God and other people. Yep. So when do I know that, hey, it's time to stop focusing on me and my goals and start maybe helping other people with their goals? Kirk, what's fun about a goal is that a goal is contagious. Discipline is contagious. Commitment is contagious. When you work on a personal goal, it always spreads to other parts of your life. We have people that I've worked with who said, you know, I started reading your books, John, because I wanted to start a business and I ended up running a marathon and I ended up improving my marriage and I ended up changing all mm. these lives. So when you connect to a real goal that has real honest motives about changing your life, you can't help but want to help other people. Like a real heart goal never leads to selfishness. It always leads to service. It starts with you going, okay, me taking responsibility for my decisions, me not blaming other people for my decisions. I take ownership of my life and then I can't help but want to help other people. I mean, there's a reason I write books. You asked me at the start of this conversation, where did this begin? It began with me feeling inadequate, feeling like I wasn't living up to my potential. Uh. And then I said, okay, I want to work on that in my life. I wonder if other people feel that way too. And then I just opened up the conversation. So a good goal never leads you into deeper into self alone. It never leads you into an idol. It always goes, 
I want to help change the world. And the world might be the three people you live in when your house, your family. Um, it might be your community. It might be the broader world. But I think when you really plug into who you are and who you're created to be and you do it as an act of worship, when whatever you commit to the Lord, like that's when it gets mm. to be really delightful. Because, again, we're talking about the gift giver. I think that anytime you deeply really explore your gifts, it makes you go, where did I get these? And that makes you closer to God. It doesn't pull you away from God. Mm. I think we have a God that's just waiting for us to go on this exploration because he gets to go. I did that. I put that in your heart. That was me. And he's way more generous and way more loving and way more giving than I think we give him credit for when we don't focus on our goals. So, John, we're talking all about our goals, about potential. And, and, and I want to go back to these zones that you just mentioned. You talk about the comfort zone. What do we need to do to get out of that comfort zone? Because that's the one that we so easily get stuck in. What I found over the years in studying goals and working with thousands, thousands of people on their goals is that no one changes their life just because. I haven't met a single person who said, I woke up today and decided to have discipline. I decided to have persistence. That's never how it happens. Mm. What usually happens is they get a small taste of something they want more than staying the same. They get a small glimpse of something that they really want more than just being stuck. And you talk about God's role in this. I mean, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what happened yeah. for me, Kirk, is that when I lived in Atlanta, I had a day job. I felt stuck. I was in my comfort zone. And I started the blog. And I started the blog just a little bit. And I thought, this is kind of fun. I can talk to all these people and I can share ideas. And all of a sudden, it's not that I started to become more disciplined just because I started getting up earlier because if I got up earlier, I could write my blog more often. And this thing I desired turned my hours into kind of blocks of wood. And I wanted to throw more blocks of wood into the fire, make it bigger and bigger and bigger because I had something I desired. So again, that's what's so fun. When you build a best moments list and figure out, okay, here's things I care about. This lights me up. Then you want to find more time to do it. You want to get unstuck. I always say you leave the comfort zone in two ways, Kirk. A crisis, something happens outside of yeah. your control. You get fired from your job. There's a car accident. Something bad happens or a voluntary trick. You trick yourself out of the comfort zone. You go, hey, stuck self, there's something good out here. I think we should do a little bit of work. And your stuck self goes, all right, I'm willing to try. But you'll never trick yourself out of a comfort zone by going, hey, you know how we haven't run in like 10 years? We're going to run 12 miles tomorrow and we're going to just see how that goes. It's not going to go well. <laughs> so you do little things to kind of trick yourself out of the comfort zone and then you build on them and you build on them and you build on them. Can you think of, of an example where you successfully moved from one zone to another zone, either out of your comfort into a zone or maybe out of the chaos back down into the potential zone? I'll give you an example from my own life. Comfort zone. I was not being very grateful. I had all these opportunities, all these things that are coming up, and I wasn't appreciating them, and I didn't feel like I was living with a heart of gratitude. And you can read the Bible over and over and over. It'll talk about the importance of thankfulness and gratitude. And so I said, I want to be grateful. And my initial response, Kirk, was I'm going to write 10 thank you notes every day for a year. So I went from none to my head going, we should write 3,650 of these things. Let's like, <laughs> we haven't written any. Let's write 3,000. And I had to pull back and go, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What if instead, just hear me out. What if instead I wrote one text message to one friend 30 days in a row? Not even, a, I don't have to look for a stamp. I don't have to look for an envelope or an address. I'm just going to encourage and thank 
one person in my life for 30 days in a row. And so now I've got a much easier goal. I talk about easy goals in the book. That's an easy goal. And you know what I found? There wasn't a single person that month that wrote me back, Kirk, and said, John, this is the worst time you could have sent me this. I'm so mad you encouraged me and thanked me. 90% of them said, you don't know how much I needed that today. You have no idea. Uh. So that's an example for me where if I want to expand it to actual thank you notes, I can because guess what I have, Kirk? I have 30 days of evidence. I now have evidence. I don't have to guess, could I do this goal? Will this goal light me up? I have 30 days of evidence. And then, Kirk, I took it another level. I said, what if I encourage my kids 30 days in a row? What if I just made a list of things I love about my daughter, McCray, or things I love about my daughter, Ellie? And I just found ways to tell them that, to say, hey, that thing you did the other day was brave. I just, I noticed that it was really brave. Nothing complicated. I'm not carving them things out of wood. Like you don't make it hard, <laughs> but now I've got another way to practice it. And so then at the end of that 60 days, am I a better father? You bet I am. But if I had sat down with the goal of, I am now going to become a better father, that would have overwhelmed me. That would have paralyzed me, but I didn't do that. Instead, I said, let me try this. Let me do a little experiment and see if I can really lean into this. And it turns out I could. In your book, you talk about three different types of goals, easy goals, middle goals, and then guaranteed goals. Yeah, so the easy goal is that small thing. It's got a small time frame. It's seven days. Kirk, if you told me, okay, I wanna get in shape, I'd say, hey, why don't you try to take three walks around the neighborhood in the next seven days? And 99% of people are gonna go, that's not enough, that's not enough, that's not enough. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I want you to build a sustainable foundation for long-term goals, not just, again, swing to the chaos zone and try to do too much. So there's easy goals, those first small things you do. They don't take a lot of time. They don't cost any money. They're very simple. And then you figure out some middle goals. Okay, I'm willing to commit a little more. They're going to take a little bit more time. I'm willing to put some hours against this. I might even invest a little in this. I might hire a trainer. I might actually sign up for a gym. And then guaranteed goals are what you make once you have some momentum. You think about goals like a ladder, Kirk, the first couple rungs are the easy rungs. You're just barely starting to climb. You get to the middle, the, the rungs are a little further apart. You're doing a little more work. You got a little energy. You got a little momentum. And then you get to the middle and you go, I can see the top. Like, I'm, I'm going to do this. Now, I'll tell you, every podcast I've done about this book has said, I don't know about this idea about guaranteed goals. And what I always say is, I've written nine books at this point. I couldn't have told you this idea in book one because I didn't know it was true. But at nine books in, I know that when you climb the ladder, you get to write books. You get to stay in shape. You get to have great marriages. There's a system. Goals aren't magic. And so for me, that's what a guaranteed goal is, is saying, okay, based on where I am, based on what I'm putting into, based on the progress I've already made, this thing is happening. There's no world where I don't finish this goal. That's what a guaranteed goal is. What is the kind of fuel that you recommend people use to go on this journey and climb these ladders? If it's not fear, like I gotta do this, I gotta, I gotta complete this goal, because if I don't, uh, bad things are gonna happen to me. W what should fuel the journey? There's a lot of bad fuels. You just touched on one. One of them is trying to prove somebody else wrong. That's a terrible fuel. There's a couple of fuels, Kirk, that will help you initially, but they'll burn you out long-term. You've seen this in Hollywood a thousand times. The person whose fuel was, I need adoration. There's never enough. I need to prove somebody wrong. Sometimes you'll see people that are saying, I'm trying to prove my dad wrong. The dad died 10 years ago. There's no way for you to prove that person wrong. So a good fuel is something like craft. I want to get better at this. I love to write. I love to stay in shape. Another one would be impact. 
I want to change the world. I want to, I want to get more water to more people in more communities that don't have water. I have impact. Another great fuel is community. Okay. I'm a relationships person. And when I work on my goal, I get to be part of a community that encourages me. So those are great fuels because they're the kind of fuel that fills you up. Kirk, when I talk about fuels like proving somebody wrong or anger or some of these other fuels, it reminds me of how rockets work. So when the space shuttle takes off, it has rocket boosters and they're powerful and they're loud and they're aggressive. But once they do their job and get the space shuttle out of the atmosphere, they change to a different type of fuel because rocket boosters only know how to do one thing, go all in. And sometimes when people don't change their fuel, when they go, okay, I got out of this jam because I was afraid and maybe fear gave me a little bit of fuel, but at some point you can't use that fuel anymore. It'll empty you out. Like it might burn bright initially. It might get you out of a jam, but if we're talking about long-term goals, you, you want to have a fuel that fills you up and community fills you up and craft fills you up. The Lord fills you up. If you get to do what you do as an act of worship, for me, Kirk, I know I'm going to keep writing books because I feel so close to God when I get to write books. I feel like I get to have whispers from the Holy Spirit on ideas. I, I'm just stewarding these ideas. I didn't create these ideas. I get to steward them. And that's a fuel. My favorite fuel story probably is the parable of the rich landowner who gives out the five talents, the two talents, the one talent. And it says in that verse, if you read it, they immediately put them to work. That means they already had a system. Kirk, they were already engaged in goals. They didn't have to say, Okay, I got five talents. What should I do with these talents? Who am I called to be? Let me go on a vision quest and figure out my why. They were already in motion. They immediately put them to work. They doubled them, and then they got a celebration. The rich landowner who represents God didn't go, I really don't like success. I don't like excellence. I wanted you to just pray in silence in a cave for six months. I'm disappointed you doubled these. They went, no, there's a celebration. The only person that was negative in the story was the one who didn't know the landowner who didn't know God in this story. So a lot of what I do when it comes to goals is I'm begging people to grab a shovel. I think they've buried a lot of their talents and I want to help them grab a shovel and dig those up, double them, and then watch the party. I think that's a beautiful picture of a God who gives us gifts and goes, watch how full you become when you engage in these gifts with me. John, sometimes we end up comparing our uh, our goals and our vision with other people's goals and vision. You know, I'm never going to be Steve Jobs. I'm not going to create a tech company and change the world with this. Or, or yeah. wow, Elon Musk, his goals are really exciting. But, but mine is I want to have a better relationship with my kids. Uh, how do we combat this comparison trap? I mean, there's a couple different ways. One, I always tell people like, you need a scorecard. Your brain wants to know how you're doing. Your brain is curious. Like, how are we doing right now in life? Are we where we thought we'd be? Are our relationships as strong as we want them to be? Are we in the right place for our career? I mean, think about it this way, Kirk. The worst person to drive with is the friend who's supposed to be navigating who doesn't give you the directions quick enough. We all have that friend that <laughs> as you're coming through a red light, they go, oh, wait, 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 turn right, turn right, falls in chaos. So your brain is saying to you, hey, how are we doing? And if you don't have a scorecard, if you don't have a sense of that, it doesn't stop asking. It just starts looking at other people's scorecards. Your brain goes, okay, if you won't tell me how we're doing, I'll go find other people's lives to look at, and then I'll try to figure it out myself. Like, I think about it this way, Kurt. Recently, um, a friend of mine went through a divorce, and she was supposed to go hike this long trail, a part of the Appalachian Trail with her, um, her husband, and she couldn't do it. And she asked her parents, hey, will you do it with me instead? 
And the parents said yes. They said, of course, we'd love to do that with you. But in that moment, I realized they had five types of wealth. They had financial wealth. They could pay for the trip. They had wisdom wealth. They were smart enough to say yes to it. They had relational wealth. Their daughter wanted to spend time with them that she didn't have to spend time with them. They had health wealth. They were in shape enough to do it. And they had time wealth. So they had the time. They weren't so busy that they said, go hike for three weeks. Never. They got to show up in their daughter's life in a beautiful way. So when I think about my scorecard, Kirk, I'm going, you know, when I'm in my mid-60s, I'll be 48 in a couple weeks. When I'm in my mid-60s, I want to have those five types of wealth. I want to have the type of relationships, the type of physical health where I can show up to help other people. I want to serve other people. So if I keep my eyes on my scorecard and not somebody else's, then I don't go, that person sold more books than me or that person got to be on a bigger podcast than me, or they they have more Instagram followers than me. It's so easy to get in that loop. But if I'll stay on what God's called me, I mean, there's so many verses that say the, the man who works his land has abundant food. The fool chases fantasies. And so I'm constantly going, okay, God, you show me my land. Like you show me my land. And then the other thing is that I get to trust his gifts. I mean, the best things that have happened to me, Kirk, have been received, not forced. I received them as gifts to steward, I didn't force them. I didn't force them. I didn't make them happen with my intelligence. Um, so the best things for me have been received. So if I'll be faithful to the little plot of land God's given me to steward, I get to see him bless that again and again and again. And that's a lot more fun than looking over the fence at somebody else's piece of land. Love it. Man, I, honestly, I can't remember the last time I've been more excited to dive into a book and start putting these things into practice. John, thanks so much for coming back and talking with us on Takeaways. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.